Edited and re-recorded, this is The Addendum. Welcome to episode 136 of The Addendum. My name is Eric. The story featured in this episode takes place on the outskirts of where other stories reside. It is not an ordinary narrative. It does not hit all of the expected marks. Instead, it determines a path of its own. Minor edits have been made to increase readability along with some reordering of information. A few extraneous details have been removed and the overall setting and atmosphere have been improved. Without any further delay, the story will now begin. Watermarked Sleeves by Keith Eric Brandt The electric orange municipal truck dropped Marvin off at Lighton Park. He carried with him a gas-powered weed trimmer, a pair of earplugs, and a two-way radio to contact the foreman when the job was complete. The rest of the crew waved to him from the back of the truck as it drove away. After the dust in the gravel lot had settled back into place and their taillights had faded into the distance, there was no one else within sight. The riding mowers had already been through the entire area earlier that morning. It was his job to trim around fence posts, trees, and any other obstructions. He preferred working by himself because it gave him a feeling of autonomy without giving him too much individual responsibility. He was the first to admit he was not the brightest guy, but as long as he was shown how to do something once, that was all he needed to know about whatever needed to be done. Despite being in his mid-fifties, he still felt awkward and out of place in the company of most people. He was thin and overly tall. He had dark hair, a thick mustache, and heavy lines upon his face from years of hard living. His co-workers liked him, and he was a productive team member, but in the end, he enjoyed being told what he needed to do and then being left alone to do it. He worked his way back and forth across the park, from post to tree to garbage can, edging ever closer to an embankment on the north end that led down to a tributary that flowed into a nearby lake. As he approached a large maple, he saw what appeared to be a woman's hand in the tall grass at the base of the tree. It looked real, but it was pale, like it had been taken off of a mannequin and placed there as a joke. Marvin looked over his shoulder to see if there were pranksters lying in wait to watch his reaction. The vacant beauty of the tranquil refuge was as empty and desolate as it was on most weekday mornings. There were no vehicles in the parking lot or on the nearby highway. There was absolutely nobody to be seen. Marvin turned the weed trimmer off and set it on the ground. Then he knelt in the cool shade of the tree. Upon closer inspection, the woman's hand appeared as if it might be an expensive prosthetic. It looked incredibly real, from its manicured and red-painted nails down to its wrist. The skin was taut and unblemished. Its peaked color made it seem as if the hand might have simply been misplaced by a maiden from a fairy tale. With delicate timidity, he touched it. It was soft, it was warm, and there was no doubting it was human. 
His eyes dilated with uncertain panic. For a brief moment, he could only stare at the pale hand lying amid the green blades of uncut grass. Then Marvin quickly radioed the foreman and urgently pleaded for him to call the police. When the foreman asked him why, he tried to explain, but initially he was only able to utter a jumble of nonsensical words. The foreman chuckled, apparently not surprised by the incompetent demeanor, as he said something indistinguishable to someone who was nearby. Marvin then blurted that somebody had been injured and they might even be dead. At that point, all of the laughter and the commotion coming from his radio handset fell quiet. Marvin stood vigil beside the large tree, watching the highway for approaching vehicles. In the still quiet of the hot summer morning, sweat ran down the center of Marvin's back and stung at the corners of his eyes. The drone of insects hummed with a high and persistent bleeding in the near distance. The humid and stagnant air was rich with the smell of damp earth and wet clay. After a while, two county patrol cars and an ambulance pulled into the gravel parking lot. An athletic but doughy-looking deputy named Talbert got out of the lead patrol car and walked to the tree where Marvin waited. Two other officers followed and stood a little behind the deputy, with their hands resting casually on their holstered pistols. Talbert said, Where's the body? Marvin shook his head and pointed at the base of the tree. He said, I, I don't know. It was just laying there. I thought it was a joke. As the medics examined the hand, one of them said, It's fresh. There's no rigor. We should be able to reattach it if we find the person who lost it. He wrapped the hand in gauze and covered it in a clear gel before putting it in a red and white cooler. The other medic looked around the immediate area and nodded his head. He said, wherever this happened, it wasn't here. There's not enough blood. The electric orange municipal truck rapidly pulled into the parking lot and came to an abrupt stop, raising a large plume of dust. Three men wearing faded navy blue t-shirts rode in the back. One by one, they jumped over the tailgate and onto the gravel as the vehicle came to a halt. The foreman and another man got out of the cab. All of them were tanned and sweaty, with bits of grass and dirt clinging to their clothes. Deputy Talbert raised a hand high into the air and called over to them. Hold it right there, boys. The foreman waved and then lowered his hand when he realized it had not been a greeting. He said, we came to help. Talbert kept his hand raised for a moment longer and then pointed at them and said, Wait right there. I will tell you if you can help. You hear me? With his bravado deflated, the foreman haplessly raised his hands and said, Yes, sir. He turned and walked a few short steps back to the truck with the rest of the men. They leaned against the tailgate with their arms crossed and talked in low murmurs, occasionally craning their necks towards the officers with undisguised interest. Talbert resumed talking to Marvin. He said, From what they've told me, there's no way that hand could have been left here without you seeing how it got there. I need you to tell me every person and every car you've seen in this park today. Marvin shook his head with concern and fear upon his face. He said, just Doug and the others when I was dropped off this morning. Nobody else has been here until you guys showed up. 
I radioed Doug, and he called you. Talbert nodded his head at the parking lot and said, Those are your friends? Marvin nodded in earnest reply. Talbert wrinkled his lips and said, Tell them to go home. Marvin nodded his head once again with nervous amiability before taking a step toward the parking lot. Talbert put a firm hand on his shoulder and Marvin turned to look at him. Talbert said, tell them from here. Marvin cupped his hands around his mouth and shouted across the distance in a wavering voice. He says, you guys got to clear out of here. The foreman raised his arms with apparent exasperation and disbelief. Marvin said, that's just what he told me. I'll have to catch up with you guys later, I guess. He looked back at Talbert and said, can you guys give me a ride home? Talbert nodded his head. Marvin cupped his hands to his mouth again and said, these guys got me covered. Don't worry about it. A half dozen marked and unmarked patrol cars arrived after the onlookers had left. Marvin was detained on site while Lytton Park and the surrounding area were searched into the early evening. He was questioned over and over again by individual investigators and by different teams of detectives. All of them wore a look of permanent doubt, and none of them were pleased with the answers Marvin provided. He told them everything he knew. Unfortunately, none of it was helpful. That night, Marvin dreamed he was at an outdoor cafe. It was crowded with indistinct people who spoke a language he did not know. All of the tables had parasols that provided shade from blinding rays of sunlight that cut across the evening sky. A woman with blonde hair urgently waved him toward her table. She wore a pink blouse with long sleeves that bunched around her wrists like marigolds in full bloom. The silken cuffs of the light fabric were dark and discolored, like they had been immersed in water. As he sat down, he noticed she was missing her right hand. She smiled at him with unabashed adoration. Her eyes were bright green, and her skin was pale like moonlight. Where have you been? she said. I've been waiting. She curled the index and middle finger of her left hand around the intricate handle of her teacup. Her fingers were white and slender, as bloodless and beautiful as the hand he had found beneath the tree. Marvin began crying. He said, I didn't know where you were. I didn't know where to look. She made hushing noises. It's okay, she said. You would have helped me if you could have. It's not your fault. The shade from the parasol cast leaf-shaped shadows across her face. Marvin looked up to see branches and maple leaves. They were no longer in the crowded cafe. They were sitting beneath a large tree in the middle of Lighton Park. He said, What happened to you? Are you okay? The blonde woman continued to smile at him as if he was the most handsome and brave man she knew. She said, Let's just sit here for a while and enjoy the warmth of the sun. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you for downloading and listening. If you have enjoyed this story or any of the stories featured on this program, please take the time to rate and review the Addendum podcast. Until next time, this has been The Addendum.